Good morning. How is everyone? I want to just tell you I'm wearing this for a reason. I am Irish, so I didn't wear any green because I'm actually exempt being Irish, but just for you unbelievers, I don't want to get pinched, all right? So this is why, this is why I'm wearing this. So happy St. Patty's Day. Um, we're taking a thematic view through the book of Acts. If you're visiting, and we call it the power and the proclamation of the book of Acts and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What I'd like to do today is talk to you about the warfare. We haven't met warfare yet in this trek. We're in, I think, week 10. And we're going to talk about spiritual warfare. I want to give it some, some design. I want to give it some definition. I want to give some misunderstandings, I believe, especially through the charismatic movement that we've, we've been a part of. Uh, I've been a part of my whole life. And then I want to get into the book of Acts and show you certain things. Um, Seth, can you show the first film, please? I'm hoping. Turn it up a little bit. Before you play it, I'm going to give you guys like a, like a pendulum swing. This is one side of maybe where some of us Christians are and the other pendulum where I believe the Lord wants us to be. All right? So just give you a little bit of foretaste on that. Go ahead. One day come, we form a circle in the center of the room, backs to one another. I am not a warrior. Second one. Go ahead. That's one side of the pendulum. Here comes the other side. So much death. What can men do against such reckless hate? Right out with me. Right out and meet them. Cool. So we've got, on one hand... Like Gideon, I am not a warrior. Well, very soon you will be, right? That's what happens when we become Christians. By the way, you didn't join, you got drafted into a conflict, into an eternal conflict. Basically, the, the conflict of all eternity, the eternal destiny of men and women and children and humanity We've been ushered in, I, I believe, into the greatest and only conflict of all time. And I think many Christians, and even in these days, do not live in the reality of this truth. Christianity becomes this, uh, I don't even want to say it, but it can be boring. A systematic, 
meeting after meeting after prayer after this, and we've lost track on what this is all about. Or our purpose is to wait this life out until I get to heaven. I just want to live a good life. And I think this, time, this attitude leads many to a self-centered Christian life. And then there's no sense of the quest. If we know what we've been called to, guys, would we be so casual? Or would we storm the gates of hell to free men and women from eternal bondage from our enemy, the devil? Oh, by the way, he exists. The witness of the church will, I'm going to say, will result in spiritual warfare and demonic resistance. But I want to give some definition to this warfare and to what resistance means. It's the refusal to accept or to comply. That's what the devil does right now. He refuses to accept or comply. We sang today, the victory is yours, Lord, over the cross. Colossians 2.15 2, says it emphatically, and I don't want to go into what Rick taught two weeks ago, but I'm of the same mindset that the victory is already done, and we move out in that victory. We are ready to plunder the enemy's camp. Are you? And the plunder is people. But the enemy still has teeth. He can still bite. His fight now to me is one of, I've lost, but I'm going to take as many with me as I can. What's the picture of that in Exodus? Right? Pharaoh. Passover came, freed a people. Freed them. What did he do? Did he comply? He went after them with everything he had to destroy them. And then the Red Sea is a picture of the final judgment for me, where he is finally vanquished. But in the meantime, we hold the key to men's hearts. The devil's power to hold people in fear through death is broken. In shame and in guilt due to sin has been broken. To hold people in loneliness and isolation is broken. Through the cross, it says. It is displayed through the cross, the resurrection, and the ascension that Jesus alone has the victory. John said this. Why did Jesus come? Do you know why? To destroy, to destroy the works of the enemy. And now we get sent on a holy quest to free people. But let me give you some misunderstandings that I believe are in the church. We would never say these things, I don't think. But we, I think through the years, I've seen them. The belief that God and Satan are equals. Dean touched on this in his teaching today. We would never say that. But it's almost like this kind of Chinese yin and, yin and yang. If there is good, there has to be evil. Right? But I'm going to tell you this, that God's light banishes darkness, 
and he alone possesses immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. God does not need darkness. He uses it. Do you remember what he said about Pharaoh in Exodus? He said, I let you remain in order that I would show my power through you and that my name would be glorified in all the earth. God uses darkness to proclaim his name and his greatness. Do you remember what Satan said to Jesus? He said, oh, actually, when Jesus said to Peter, but he, he went to a conversation that he had with, with Satan, and he said, Peter, Simon, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. Anything that Satan does is under the auspices of God. Satan does not know your thoughts. He does not know your heart. We've said those things. He's in my head. He's in my... He does not know that. He is not immortal. He is not omniscient. He is not all-powerful. But he's a great student of the human nature. And that's what he uses. So the belief that God and Satan... Our equals is wrong. The fallacy is we attribute God's power to Satan. And we take our eyes off of God and put it on the devil. The fight is under God's sovereign control. Here's another one. That there's a devil around every corner. Especially in the charismatic church. We go demon hunting for everything. My washer broke. Had to have been the devil. No, I've had the washer for 25 years. It broke. Everything is caused by demonic spirits. We did that in the 90s. We were looking for a demon. We were like Elmer Fudd. Be very quiet. Uh, we're hunting demons. I personally don't want to hunt demons. In fact, Jesus sent us out preaching the gospel. The demons show up when you preach the gospel. The fallacy is we take our eyes off the quest, off of people, and put them into this overarching supernatural realm. And the other thing that we do is we get into a defensive position. We're like this. They're coming. They're going to, they're, instead of being forward-thinking and offensive, we are an offensive people, not offensive, offensive we're going forward. Here's, here's two others. Um, and I might step on some toes. Authority. That spiritual authority rests within me. That is mine to wield, and it is up to me to release it. This is a subtlety. But we have to have an understanding that all authority has been given to Jesus Christ. Now we go in his name. Is that different? I believe it is, and this is why. What we saw in the 90s, was churches in prayer meetings thinking they could speak into the heavenlies and, and confront demonic principalities over realms and over regions. I don't see that written in my word, and I honestly don't think I want to do that. And we actually saw some churches um, go through some serious stuff because they thought the authority was theirs. No, we preach the gospel, guys, and with that authority now, we go as an ambassador. We carry the, the opinion of our king 
this, I'm sorry, I won't even say opinion, our stance of the king when we go and when we preach. And God will back his word that way. Oh, by the way, the fight is through Jesus, not through me. So I appeal to the Lord to fight on my behalf, as opposed to just railing on demonic principalities. The fourth is dominionism. The belief that all the nations must be Christianized, and there's the word, before Christ comes back. That every institution on earth must be Christianized, that, that that's the fight, in order that Jesus would return. Fallacy here is it denies the sovereignty of God, and it rests on human ability and wisdom. And it speaks of a material kingdom, not a spiritual one. Jesus said to Pilate, my kingdom is not of this earth. Remember, they tried to make him king. It's not, that's not the point. It's a spiritual fight that we fight on the field of either unbelief or faith. So let's get into the book of Acts. And when I was seven years old, I thought of this. When I was seven years old, I was sitting down at this playground, and this kid was swinging. And my brother came up behind the kid and pushed him out of the swing. And the kid's face hit my knee. And just, and my brother ran away, right? Left me there to face this kid. He was angry. His lip went out to here already. And he wanted to fight me. Like he blamed me. So what's the first thing I did? I boogied. <laughs> I ran. I didn't want to fight. And this kid's brother with a dog chased me down, right, and cornered me. And he was so very nice and polite. He said, hey, I, I can't. Very, you know, I'm sorry that we have to do this, but my brother needs to fight you for this. And I was like, I didn't even do this. So anyway, I'm getting to a point, trust me. So I'm sitting there, standing there going, okay, what's going to go down? By the way, I had never gotten in a fight before. So everything inside is churning, and uh, and this kid reaches out and grabs me by the ears, and he just starts pulling my ears. Thank God he didn't bite me in the face. I had no idea what he was going to do. My ears were this big for a week. I say this to tell you that I did not know the schemes of my enemy. But we should know the schemes of the devil. Right? Doesn't, doesn't Paul say that no advantage should be taken of us by Satan? We should know his schemes. We should know his plans. We should know how he does things. So I want to get into the book of Acts and tell you there's some things that I grabbed onto on how he attacks the church. Not just us individually, but how he attacks the church. First one, you might want to write these down. Acts chapter 24, and then, oh, by the way, so I don't give credence to the devil, I'm going to also show you how God deals with these things, because that's the important part. Not just what he does, what the devil does, but 
how we deal with these things. In Acts chapter 24, Paul is accused. So I'm going to say accusation is the first thing. Isn't that one of his names, the accuser of the brethren? But I love this because Paul's amazing. And he should be an example to us. Acts chapter 24, Paul is charged. He's accused of turning over the apple cart and letting uh, the status quo be messed up. And in Acts chapter 24, verse 5, I'm sorry, verse 4, there's this, there's this um, lawyer, for a, a lack of a better term. He comes and he says, by your kindness, Felix, I like a brief hearing. And he accuses Paul, for we have found this man a real pest. I think we'd be called a little different than that these days. And a fellow who stirs up dissension among all the Jews throughout the world. And a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. You. He said, you, Paul. You. He points the finger and he says, you. And what I love was Paul didn't defend just himself, I, but he defended the gospel. And he defended it by the word of God. And I'm, I think the Lord dropped this in me. We know that the word is living and active, it says in Hebrews, sharper than any two-edged sword, can separate, can uh, go to the heart and the intent of the mind. And, but I'm going to ask you this. Is the word of God living and active in, in you? And when you are accused, what comes out of you? And that's where we see, like I think on Facebook, even Christians come out with opinions and emotion and other things other than the word. And, and Paul brought the word in a candid, straightforward manner. And this would be in verse 14 verse 24 and 25, in a candid, straightforward manner with sincerity, he spoke the gospel by the word of God, and it carried with it the weight of conviction. That's what the word of God does when we preach. He declared his faith and the reasons for that faith and the virtues essential to Christian character to the audience which, who were so striking, strikingly destitute. Do you guys, have you ever uh, studied Felix, who he was? This dude was jacked up. He was messed up. I don't want to go into that, but he was messed up. But Paul basically laid out the gospel, and I love this in verse 25, or verse 24 and 25, and it says this, some days later, Felix arrived with his wife. Oh, by the way, that was his third wife, and he stole her from another guy. That was her second husband. So there's little context for that. His wife, who was a Jewess, sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he was discussing righteousness, 
self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix became frightened. The word of God hit home. Now, I don't know what happened to Felix after that. It didn't matter. Paul sowed. The war, the accusation, how he met the accusation was with the word of God. Let's go to Acts chapter 6. Here's the second one. Verse 1. Now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, oh, by the way, isn't this wonderful? It's wonderful. There's people coming to the Lord. This is great. The word of God is preached, right? A complaint arose. Uh Uh-oh. Uh-oh, someone's not happy, is there? On the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Division. Discord. I like discord as far as a symphony. You know, it's funny when I play, I look at Radu. If I ever make a bad note, I always look to Radu and I go, what'd you do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. As a musician, you never blame yourself for the bad note. We look over at the bass player. God, that was you. What happened? <laughs> there's discord. There's, there's, we're not in harmony together. There's division. And the enemy brings division. He separates. Jesus said this, he who does not gather with me, he scatters. This is what he does in war. There can be disagreements, guys. There can be arguments. But we cannot break what we hold in common. He will try in any which way to separate us. Separate leaders from leaders. That's the big place. I've gone through it myself. Separate leaders from the flock. Separate flock from flock. And what we hold in common, guys, this quest, this quest, this fight for people's eternal destiny has to take precedence over my complaints. And I will see to it, no matter what, to take care of that disagreement. And that's what they did. How? Through order, through unity, and through peace. As it says here, they selected men among them who devoted themselves to that work. The leaders devoted themselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Well, gee, that's, that's, what's that? I'm over here doing the bathrooms and you're doing ministry and prayer. I could do that, right? And it said it found, it found agreement within everybody. Why? Because everyone was playing the instrument and the notes that they needed to play. That there was unity. That there was divine wisdom in this unity. And this unity brought peace, the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. My son plays rugby. Nice eye, by the way. 
There's a thing, uh, um, and Ted probably knows this better than me too, but when a guy gets tackled, he has to go down, and three guys come over and they form a ruck to help support this, this ball because when you lay the ball down, the next guy has to come up and throw it, or if this ruck gets blown apart, you can poach or steal the ball. If we're not together in the ruck, it can be blown apart. If one guy goes by himself, it's easier to be pulled over and another guy come in and, and blow the rock up. That's what I look at sometimes with us. If we're not here, we can get blown apart. And then it's easy for them to poach, to steal, to rob, to destroy. Unity. At all costs, in what we hold in common, We can have disagreements. We can be angry. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. We can be angry with each other. That's a family. I think sometimes we figure that this whole family thing or this whole Christian thing is this pie-in-the-sky thing. No, it's lives together, working together. But remember, if we forget the quest, if we forget the fight, what this is all about, then we lose focus, we lose track, and it's easy for him to to get an advantage on us. The other two. So, right? Accusation, division. A simulation. A simulation. The process of becoming similar to something else. Acts chapter 4. And I'm going to say this. Pressure from outside to conform versus the society's norms. In our wisdom, and I'm going to use Mario air quotes if he's here. He likes to do air quotes. To be relevant to culture, we have intermarried with society. And the church, which is the pillar and foundation of truth, loses its flavor and witness. Is the church a place to, be go, is a place to, go to be entertained? Is it a place more for us than for them? Is it a place that we call people to transformation in a radical life exchange with Christ, or is it just to maintain a status quo? In chapter 4 and chapter 5, the religious leaders, I, I look at it as not only the political, but the religious systems go, don't do this, stop doing that, don't sell cakes anymore to people because of your beliefs, right? Stop doing this. Stop preaching Christ in the church. Don't have a prayer meeting at school. Don't confess your faith in front of people. Stop it. And if you do, we'll let you in. You'll be a part of us. But can I tell you, we lose our salt. We lose our light. We lose our flavor to the world. And what was the answer? Is it right for us to obey you or to obey God? Obedience is a powerful weapon in the hands of God. 
because it, it creates a prophetic statement of my life when I say no. No, I will. I will do this. And it brings opportunity to bring the gospel. Not relativism, but radical, radical obedience. What's radical obedience? You know, radical we, is a math term that means get to the root. Get to the, the foundation. And Jesus said in the Beatitudes, there were only three things that you need to give yourself to radical obedience to. And he said it this way. When you fast, when you pray, not if. I think sometimes we figure it's if you or if we and when you give. Three radical obediences to the kingdom. Guys, your money is a powerful weapon in the hands of God. How do I know that? Because there's a Muslim woman. I'm sorry, she's not Muslim anymore. But by our giving over into Lebanon, she gave her life to Christ. She did not hear us preach the gospel at all. She received money. Your homes are a powerful weapon when you open them up to people. Do you look at it like that as it's part of the war? Your time. Just sitting down and talking with someone. It's a powerful weapon. And our praying and our fasting are huge. Man, the last two prayer, prayer evenings have been just wonderful in this regard. That it felt like we were going into the same place. We've denied ourselves, asked the Lord, and we're getting in and into his will more and more on how to reach the city. That's been the prayer focus. How do I reach my community? How do I reach this city? Lord, help us. Help us to be obedient in everything you say. We do know what he says here. And then we also have the rhema word. What is God speaking to you personally right now? Right? I had an opportunity on Friday. It's a guy that probably wasn't very liked at work. He's now back as a consultant, uh, an electrical engineer guy. And he began telling me about his wife. She had breast cancer. She was in remission. They just found... 10 to 15 tumors in her brain. She will die unless God intervenes. And I sat there, and I sat there, and I was scared to death to open my mouth about the gospel. And I just, I, I just, you know how God does this? <laughs> Start telling him about me. Start telling him about me. She will die without me. And I began to tell him, her name is Marilyn, by the way, and I'm hoping, uh, I'm hoping I'll be able to see her and talk to her. But what was interesting is this week, she said, I want to get baptized. As if that is a thing that we need to do. I, I don't know what, what she believes, but I want the opportunity. I said, I'd like to come over and pray for her. I'd like to come over and tell her about Jesus. And I told him, what Jesus did for me, and there was such warfare, guys. You could just sense it. But I, 
I believe it was Doug's class. A great need opens up a great opportunity. And I saw in his eyes, he wants, he wants this. He wants this. He just doesn't know how. And I want to preach that to him. I want to go. And it was so hard at first. I'm like, why would it be hard? Let me tell you what he's done for me. And I believe he can heal you. And he can heal your wife. Regardless of if she passes away, there's an eternal place to go. And it was powerful. And he said, I'll go, I'll t- I'll go home and talk to her. Oh, I'll tell you, 10 years ago, he wouldn't have given me at the time of day about Christ. He wouldn't have given me a moment's thought. So a simulation, don't get, don't get sucked in. You know, the whole, when we talked about the pl- uh, plausible argument, don't get sucked into the political stuff. Don't get sucked in. Not just the political, the what society tells you you need to deal with. Be obedient to God. And if you don't hear from God, be obedient to what he told you before because those marching orders are still the same. And what did Paul say to the Corinthians? We are ready to crush all disobedience once your obedience is complete. Oh, my goodness. I want to see people freed. So the last one is delusion. To be deluded. Not delusion, but dilution. (laughs) You know, the English language is a trip, right? You go to another country and they go, what? The action of making something weaker in force, weaker in content, are weaker in value. Acts chapter 16. Verse 16. And it happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters, <clears throat> excuse me, much profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. What a strange deal. The devil preaching the gospel. Wasn't that what she was doing? But I believe this. The devil confessing Christ is in fact more dangerous than than the devil denying Christ. He only confesses to oppose. He confesses, then misrepresents misrepresents so that the doctrine of Christ becomes one thing, then another, then anything but it really is. Sometimes it is salvation by man's efforts and his merit that heaven is purchased by outward works. This brings along with it a fatal system of self-righteousness. How about the cheap grace message or the self-help message? Right? There's a song out there right now called Grace Got You. And this kills me. And I'm sorry if you like the song, but there's a line in it. It says, smile like you just got away with something. Why? Because you just got away with something. That's jacked up. That's jacked up. And I get angry 
because it's just, just cheap grace being thrown out. No, 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 no. You didn't get away with Jack. <clears throat> Almost. You didn't get away with anything. By the precious blood of Jesus Christ, you were bought. And so he twists stuff, and he, he makes it not what it is. How about mysticism coming into the church? We talked about that during the plausible arguments. How about superstition? How do I mean this? The good things of our Lord are used to control our fate. What do I mean by that? How about if we don't spend enough time in scriptures? If I don't spend enough time in the word and something bad happens to me, uh-oh, that was my fault. That's superstition. Was it because I missed the required time? And instead of faith, we boil down our Christian experience to one of input and output measures. Whatever I do, then that's how it's going to be. That's not what God teaches, but that's what he does. He dilutes our faith. He dilutes our faith in God. So then now it rests in, in us. What did he say when Peter went to him and said, Oh, God forbid you go to the cross, Jesus Get behind me, Satan, for you have set your interest on man. This is what Satan does. He sets our, his interest on man's interest, propping up man's interest, man's ways, man's philosophy, man's wisdom, and not on God's. Delusion. It's in the church, guys. And so what do we do? What was the solution? Get out. Didn't he say that? Finally, he got annoyed, and he turned around, and he said, get out of her. And it was gone. We need to cast it out of the church. Oh, gosh, Kevin, you're being a little bit too. No, 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 no. Men, fathers, you are gatekeepers of your home. What do you allow in? What, and what do you keep out? What do you keep out? We have to cast it out. When these things come, holiness through God alone, not our efforts. Sanctification through God alone, not our efforts. That's why leaders are so important. Not that we're different. If you trust us, that's why we ask you to bring your words to us. What do we allow in? I remember the first time I led a meeting, I was scared to death. I'm still scared to death. I'll be honest with you. Every time I lead, I go, oh, God, oh, God, help me. Because I'm just me. And I remember a, a leader just saying, hey, it's like you're a father. What would you allow into your home? We believe in the priesthood of all believers. I do not believe in a hierarchy of leaders and priesthood. I don't. That's not what the Bible teaches. But I do believe that leaders are set in place to be able to make sure that you are safe. What do we allow in? What do we kick out? And men... 
And I'm going to say mothers, too, because I have to defer sometimes to my wife's understanding. Men, what do you allow in to your homes changes everything for the good or for the bad? Do we dilute our faith? When I was first a Christian, I loved Lord of the Rings. I read it twice before I was even saved. And I remember when I got saved, I looked at my wife. Well, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was my girlfriend. She had no idea what I was talking about at this time. And I said, it's just like the Lord of the Rings. She's like, huh? I go, yeah. There's a dark Lord. There's a quest. There's an, there's a, there's a thing we got to do. And she's like, whatever, bro. <laughs> I was breaking up with you last week. <laughs> You're a freak. Um, there's an eternal quest, guys. There's warfare to be had. But listen. It's only resistance. This one, this one of Christian life, when we go, when we say we're sowing, do you know when, when Dean talked about this at the prayer meeting, when we sow seed, do you know that's warfare? Do we look at everything? I'm not saying that we're these, I don't know, guys with guns, and, but it says this, the kingdom of, the kingdom of God suffers violence. And it's violent men who take hold of it. Are you violent in your heart for these things of God, for people? Has he put it, has, has, have we been put to sleep by the spirit of this age that we've missed this fight? Young people, Christianity is not boring. It's the thing that you put your hand to. You will not be, you will be not disappointed in what comes up. Like you tackling that big Polynesian boy last yesterday, right? We tackle the enemy in everything we do. In everything we do. Everything we do. Everything we do. Amen? Stand with me, please. Guys, I'm not sure where you want to go. All right. Father, right now, in Jesus' name, I lift up my family to you. And those that are called by Jesus are one family, united in heart and mind. Father, I pray that if this has not been something that you've download it into our hearts the way you want it to be. I pray that you would do that right now. I pray you would break us out of what we've held back in giving you in this war. Father, we want to be people that hold on to the quest, that do not forget what you've called us to, that you have brought us here at this day and this time in this city, in our neighborhoods, for one reason and one reason only, to glorify God, to give you everything that you deserve. And Lord, we look forward to plundering the enemy. Lord, I remember 
the story in 2 Kings. I love it. The Arameans sieged the city. You routed them. You gave a great deliverance through supernatural means. And four lepers walked out into the camp and started to eat and drink and pick up gold and pick up silver. And the thing that they said to them to themselves was, well, this, is, this isn't a good thing to keep to myself. The victory of Jesus Christ is something we should not keep to ourselves. But to take it out into the streets. Lord, give us, we've been saying this for weeks. Give us opportunity, Lord. I even pray for Marilyn right now that you would give me opportunity to speak to her, Lord. We pray for her in Jesus' name that you would even now intervene. And I pray for her husband, Bob, that he would, again, turn his eyes, Lord, to the reality of God. Lord, I know there's other people in our lives for that. Help us. Help us, God. Help us, help us wage war in wisdom and in understanding in this day and age. Lord, I do not want to forget to pray about love. Mm, what a powerful weapon it is in the hands of God. Your gracious love in this place and out. I thank you. I thank you, Lord. Teach us. Teach us your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.